Pottywomple with the Shadow People is a narrative podcast about friendship, magic, mystery, and the divine feminine. This podcast sometimes deals with topics of a sensitive nature, so listener discretion is advised. There is a storm brewing. She walks down the road painted up in colors no other woman in town dares to wear. The stories vibrate in her leather purse, aching to be told. Her steps are deliberate, but slow, as she ambles towards a place of greed and malice. If she had a choice, she would prefer to cottywomple with the shadow people. Episode 6 The Storm Woman Brews The Morning Star Inn was a red-bricked building just on the edge of the eastern outskirts of the town, so close to the edge that one would hesitate to even call it the outskirts. If you were to stand in the center of town square, you could see its four stories looming just behind the courthouse and the sheriff's department. At night, you could see light shining out of every window and hear a cacophony of loud music and drunken laughter. The Morning Star Inn was owned by the town's most prominent businessman, Mr. Morgenstern, and by his own glowing endorsement was the most reputable house of ill repute. On the first floor, you could play a rousing game of cards while guzzling drinks that were so strong that you wouldn't care how bad the food tastes. On the second and third floor, you can encounter a more intimate transaction with any of the half-dozen women who worked upstairs. The top floor was reserved for Mr. Morgenstern himself, his little palace on top of the world, as he liked to call it. Mr. Morgenstern had a large, bright smile and dark eyes. His eyes were not brown or black, just dark. Dark like a mine shaft. His voice sounded like every comforting lie you wanted to believe. His handshake felt like a manacle. It was never clear what kind of businessman he was. He never even called himself a businessman. He preferred the title buyer and seller. Everyone had a price, and after five minutes of idle chit-chat, he could pinpoint yours. He was not a man you would want to find yourself trapped in a conversation with. Aradia knew this, yet she still found herself at his den of debauchery. On its face, it was like any other casino or dance hall that she had worked in. But there seemed to be a layer of grime covering every surface. The kind of grime that could not be washed away with rain. Aradia considered this grime as her hand hovered over the wrought iron door handle. She quickly pulled out a handkerchief to use as a buffer between her and the handle. Aradia entered the main hall and was immediately aware of how the chatter died down upon her arrival. The chatter quickly turned into a soft breeze of whispers. The breeze combined with the jukebox music created a tune that she could almost dance to, but she was not here to dance. She found a table surrounded by three chairs in the corner and set up camp. She removed her cards from her pouch and placed them in a stack face down on the end of the table. She maneuvered the middle chair a bit closer to her so she could prop her legs up. At first glance, it may seem like she was just resting her wary feet, but a clever observer would note the way she brushed a hand over her black stocking and fumbled with the lacy trim of her cardigan. 
She was there to entice. A scantily clad waitress, who Aradia half recognized, came by to take her order. She politely waved her off. She needed her wits about her tonight. Before the waitress turned to leave, she bent down and whispered, Can you pull a card for me? Aradia could hear the worry in her voice and gently told her to pull one for herself. The waitress shakily pulled the top card, looked at it, and immediately rushed from the table, dropping the card in the process. Aradia picked it up and glanced at it. Death. It's a card that has scared many people who didn't quite know what they were looking at. If Aradia saw her again, she would do her best to clarify. Not long after Aradia sat down and started preening did a gentleman sit down across from her. This man looked familiar, but she could not quite remember where she had seen him last. He had a mirthful grin, but a severe look in his eye. What's a pretty thing like you doing all by herself in a corner? Shouldn't you be upstairs? I could keep you company upstairs. Aradia gritted her teeth behind a stiff smile. She grabbed the cards and gracefully shuffled them between her hands. I'm just here to tell your story, sir. How about a bedtime story? She forced herself to flirt back. For a five-dollar donation, I'll tell you the best bedtime story. The man pulled a couple crumpled bills from his pocket and tossed it on the table. Aradia grabbed them quickly and had him pull three cards from the shuffled deck and lay them out on the table. He pulled the Empress, the Ten of Cups, and the Eight of Cups. She studied the cards closely. She told him that she saw a beautiful woman who was eager to give him a child. The man smiled almost triumphantly at the news. She told him that he would have a picture-perfect family, yet he would still be unsatisfied. She said he would soon grow disillusioned with his life if he continued to view his wife as a mere vessel rather than a human being. The man angrily stood from the table. What kind of bedtime story is that? I want my five dollars back. Aradia smiled, this time genuinely amused. All donations are non-refundable. Now go home to your pregnant wife. The man's eyes grew wide. Pregnant? I'm a doctor. I'd know if my wife was pregnant. And with that, he left. Doctor, Aradia thought to herself. So that's where I knew him from. His outburst created some intrigue amongst the patrons at the bar, and pretty soon Aradia had a queue formed at her table. Dozens of customers and a few women who worked there all wanted their stories told. She had Lilith's rent made within half an hour, but she wanted to see how much milk she could squeeze out of this cow. As she shuffled her cards, a man sat across from her. She grew stiff. She didn't have to look up to know who it was. She always sensed his presence. She looked up to see Jesse, the town's repairman and a person she once considered her closest friend. Now she could not bring herself to look into his slate-blue eyes for more than a couple seconds. She looked down and kept shuffling before requesting a five-dollar donation. What? You forgot about me after a year? Aradia could never forget him. She could also never forget the hurtful words he had said five years earlier. She mumbled a high and kept shuffling. Jesse made a noise that sounded like something between a sigh and a chuckle before placing five dollars on the table. Aradia held out the cards to him, and he pulled three to lay on the table. The lovers, judgment, and the fool. Aradia laughed without one shred of humor and asked, 
do I really need to explain to you what this spread means? Jesse ignored her and told her that he had been worried about her. She told him he didn't need to worry. After a few seconds of awkward silence, he told her that he missed her. This made Aradia angry, but she composed herself. How's Madeline doing? She said with a slight glare. He took a deep breath and said, She's doing fine, taking care of her aunt a couple towns over. That's nice. I know your mother just adores her. Speaking of Miss Mary, I bet she'll just be thrilled to hear that the little hussy who seduced her precious baby boy is back in town. Why do you have to be like that, Aradia? Before she could give him a piece of her mind, a hand clasped on his shoulder. The two former friends looked up to see the owner of the establishment looking down at them. I believe it's my turn now, Jesse. Mr. Morgenstern smiled. When Jesse tried to protest, the hand on his shoulder squeezed tighter. He begrudgingly stood up and walked over to the bar. He pretended to order something, but he didn't take his eyes off of Aradia and Morgenstern. Mr. Morgenstern slid into the seat across from Aradia. My prodigal daughter returns. Did you miss me? Like a rock in my shoe, she said through gritted teeth. Mr. Morgenstern just chuckled at her insolence and dug around his pocket before pulling out five dollars, a gesture that Aradia was quick to refuse. His money was no good to her. Her curtness did nothing to dissuade him. If anything, his smile just grew wider as he said, It's just so wonderful to have my little girl back for good. Who said I was back for good? Aradia spat as she flipped through the cards. To a stranger, this might have seemed like an absent-minded deed, but she was secretly asking the cards for guidance. Mr. Morgenstern did not seem to notice as he said, I just assumed you were coming back home because you heard the news. What news? She asked as she turned up the tower card, the card of destruction. He told her that he was running for mayor, a position that had long been held by his brother, Paul. As he spoke, Aradia turned up the King of Wands, but the card was upside down. This usually meant bad leadership. Aradia quickly tucked the cards back into the deck before asking him why anyone in town would vote for a con man over a man with years of experience. The people want to change. His voice was just as grimy as everything else in the inn. They want a choice. Your uncle does have experience, but he can't give the people what they want. And what can you offer the people besides cheap thrills and hangovers? Mr. Morgenstern narrowed his eyes, but his smile grew wider. A cemetery? Aradius stopped mid-shuffle. We don't need a cemetery. We have Hecate's Crossroads. Maybe a crossroad burial is fine for you and your shadow ilk. But the fine, upstanding citizens of this town want something less rustic, more distinguished, something that sets them apart. You don't expect these good people to spend eternity buried next to witches, vagrants, and whores, do you? Aradia's blood began to boil as her father spoke. He knew perfectly damn well that her mother was buried there. He was trying to make her angry. She could hear the rumble of thunder in the distance. I own a piece of land on the east side of town, and I'm already negotiating with a funeral parlor a couple towns over. The deal should go off without a hitch. 
If I can clear the land of those sunflowers and those old shacks. Old shacks? Aradia questioned as she turned over the last card without looking at it. But that's where Hecate lives. She's lived there for years. Correction. She has rented there for years. If you can even call the meager amount that she pays rent, she can find a new place to squat. Aradia fidgeted with the card in her hand to keep herself from reaching across the table and slapping him. She glanced at the card and gasped and dropped it after she saw the picture. Mr. Morgenstern continued listening to the sound of his own voice. I figured you must be back because you heard the news and wished to help me with the venture. Either that, or you just want to be back home with your old man. I mean, why else would you be sitting here in my little palace if you didn't miss me just a little bit? Before she could stop herself, she blurted out, I'm just trying to make rent. She immediately felt like kicking herself. You never showed your hand in a place like this. Morganstern's smile grew wider, if that was even possible. It didn't even look like a smile anymore. It put Aradia in the mind of a mountain lion who was toying with its prey. Rent, you say? So unlike Minerva, the chateau's new caretaker won't let you freeload. Well, you know you can always stay here rent-free. I'll even let you sit in the corner and read your little cards. Maybe after a while, you'll see that this place ain't so bad. Aradia hated herself, because at that moment, she considered it. Though she sympathized with Lilith's plight, she still didn't like the idea of paying to stay in the home she grew up in. And even though she didn't like the man who fathered her, she knew him better than she knew this new moon woman. She thought about the last card she drew. Would it be better to stay with the devil she knew? She thought about what her mother would want and what Minerva had said about finding commonality with Lilith. She made her decision and composed herself enough to flash a fake, dazzling smile to match his. You know I'd rather chew glass. Mr. Morganstern's smile fell for just a second before he gathered himself. Well, if you're just too good for my business, then I'll ask you to conduct yours elsewhere. Aradia glared daggers at the man who had fathered her before collecting her cards and getting up from the table. She was halfway to the door when Mr. Morganstern called after her, saying that she forgot something. She turned around to see him holding up the card she dropped. She rushed back, snatching the card before running out of the inn. When she made it outside, she looked down at the card in her hand. Staring back at her, illuminated in the soft glow of a street lamp, was the devil. She shoved the card back into the leather pouch, not even stopping to think what it could possibly mean. She wrapped the lacy cardigan around her as tightly as she could, but it did not do much against the chilly night air. Seductive clothing did not always serve as sensible clothing. She was about to take off in the direction of the chateau when she heard a scream coming from one of the open windows on the second floor. The scream was abruptly followed by the sounds of a struggle that echoed through the street. Aradia looked around to see if there was anyone who could help, but the street was empty. She wanted to run up to the room to see if she could help the trapped woman, but she knew she would get thrown out as soon as she tried to step foot in the inn again. Aradia felt useless. She felt helpless. And soon that helplessness turned to anger. 
Anger at the man who was brutalizing the poor girl. Anger at her father for trying to take over the town. Anger at Jessie for... several reasons. Her eyes flashed as her hand shook with rage. She could not stop the scream that escaped her lungs. The scream was loud enough to wake the dead that were buried at Hecate's crossroads. But no one in the town heard her scream because at that moment, a thunderous clap echoed through the air and a bolt of lightning hit a tree right outside of the inn. The noise was enough for the brute on the second floor to look out the window to see what was going on. Aradia could hear the door from the room slam. Moments later, a half-dressed woman came running out of the inn with Mr. Morgenstern close behind, scolding her for leaving her client. She ran to Aradia and collapsed in front of her. Aradia recognized the woman as the waitress who had pulled the death card earlier. She gathered her in her arms and heard the terrified woman whisper, I don't want to die here. Aradia looked up at her father, who had dropped the pretense of a smile and glared back at her. Don't worry, Aradia said as she wrapped the woman in her cardigan. I won't let you die here. It was a quiet walk back to the chateau, save for the girls shivering and crying. Aradia did not ask the waitress if she wanted to talk about what happened back at the inn. She figured the young woman did not want to relive the events of the evening. The two women walked along the dirt path. Aradia decided it was better to risk running into Hecate by the crossroads than to make the young woman stumble over large rocks and tree roots. As they passed the town's burial ground, neither of them saw any signs of Hecate, but they did hear a chorus of ghostly voices. As the hunter's moon grew closer, the spirits grew restless. The growing cacophony of whispers and laughter made Aradia want to dance. In that moment, she was transported back to her childhood. She remembered how the chateau used to come alive at night with music and dancing and revelry. She tried to banish the memories from her mind. She could not let her nostalgia keep her here. Two weeks and that's it she reminded herself. Lilith was sitting on the porch as Aradia and the waitress walked the pathway up to the steps. Before Lilith could ask what was going on, Aradia asked her to put on a pot of tea to warm up her new friend. The dirt woman did as she was asked. After she placed a hot cup of tea in front of the petrified woman, she demanded answers from Aradia, who smiled sheepishly. Well... I have good news, bad news, and better news. Lilith waited patiently for an explanation. So the good news is, I have your rental fee. The bad news is, I can't read cards at the Morningstar Inn anymore. But the better news is, I have a new tenant for you, and I made enough for her rental fee as well. Lilith's bewildered expression suggested to Aradia that she needed to explain a bit more. Aradia launched into a full, detailed account of the evening's events and ended on an appeal to pity, saying that they could not in good conscience let the young woman go back to that place. Lilith sighed deeply and pinched the bridge of her nose. What's your name, girl? Bastet, the waitress whispered between the sips of tea. Well, Bastet, go pick out a room that ain't already occupied. We'll discuss your rent in the morning. Bastet smiled with grateful tears in her eyes and left the kitchen. Lilith sighed again and stood up from the kitchen table. She poured two cups of lavender tea and sat one of them in front of Aradia, but did not sit down herself. 
She walked to the cupboard, stood up on her tiptoes, reaching for something on the top shelf. She lowered herself back down with a jar of moonshine in her hand. She walked out to the porch and Aradia took the cue to follow her. They sat silent in their rocking chairs, sipping their moonshine tea for what seemed like hours until Lilith broke the silence. Well, this has been a hell of a day, hasn't it? Aradia laughed humorlessly before finishing her cup. She thought about her old friend Hecate losing her home and presumably most of her business once the new cemetery was established. She thought about Bastet. She wondered what the girl could do for work now that she left the inn. None of the stuffed shirts in town would hire her after working in a place like that. She stopped herself from thinking about Jesse. She did not want to think about him right now. She thought about the chateau in its heyday. She thought about the plethora of people who came to get their fortunes read and their fancies tickled. She thought of how safe the Moon Women felt here and how safe everyone felt around the Moon Women. She thought about how everyone started to leave after her mother died until Minerva was left all alone. She thought about how the dissolution of the Moon Women allowed Mr. Morgenstern to hurt and exploit the women who worked for him since they had nowhere else to work. She thought of Lilith going broke because of some quack doctor's lies. She stood up and walked into the garden. She turned around to get a good look at her childhood home. She didn't see the dance hall that it had once been. She didn't see the apothecary or the house of ill repute. But she did see potential. Aradia called up to Lilith, who was still seated in her rocking chair. Do you know why the townies call the folks who live on the outskirts of town shadow people? Lilith shook her head. Well, they used to call us chateau people. But as the years went by and their contempt for us grew, the chateau people became known as the shadow people. Lilith laughed. Moon women does sound a lot nicer. It does. But I never quite felt like a moon woman, though. Do you? Lilith thought long and hard before answering. I don't know what a moon woman is supposed to feel like. Aradia nodded. But you know exactly what it feels like to be a shadow person, don't you? I used to hate myself for not being a proper moon woman like my mama. I used to hate myself for being a shadow person. But maybe I need to stop running from it. Lilith furrowed her brow. What do you mean? The town is never going to see people like us as anything other than shadowy chateau people. So we may as well live down to their expectations. <laughs> and what better way to do that than restore this place to its former glory? Lilith nearly spat out her tea. You want to turn this place into a brothel? A brothel, a dance hall, a parlor, a place for us to read our cards and tea leaves, a place to take care of expectant mothers and battered spouses, a place where people like Bastet can feel safe. This place helped you get out of a bad situation. Shouldn't we give other people the same opportunity? What do you say? Aradia walked back up to the porch and held her hand out to Lilith. Partners? Lilith stared at Aradia's hand and smiled before grasping it. Partners. Cottywampa with the Shadow People was created and performed by Shay Lee and edited by Jonathan Strickland. 
Special thanks to Lucas Ryan and Jenny Milam. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. I hope everyone had a safe Hunter's Moon celebration on Saturday. Happy Halloween and blessed Samhain to all those participating.